Good afternoon and welcome to today's CME activity. There is no commercial support and the speakers and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any um, commercial interests. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity, and this will be how you um, collect your CME credits. If you're viewing online, the evaluation link will be listed in the links icon at the bottom of the screen. And if you have a question, um, please enter it into the Q&A chat, and we will ask at the end of the presentation. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Jafan Wong, who was born in Rome, Italy, and then later moved to Ecuador. He spent most of his years in Ecuador before completing a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry, Cell and Molecular Biology at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. He then went to a medical school at the American University of the Caribbean and his area of interest is critical care medicine. Join me in welcoming Dr. Wong. Hi everyone, um, welcome to Grand Rounds. Uh, today I will be presenting this topic. Uh, it's a very special topic to me. I've been working with uh, Dr. Patel uh, on this uh, research. It's actually a research project, project that I, we've been working on for the past year and a half. Um, and it's on the revision for the topic, you know, it, it, it's on, Means uh, from family and friends having palpitations, heart rates increasing, uh, don't know why. And then later on, we found out more complaints from nursing staff, uh, providers, patients, um, and they all had one common denominator, which is, was uh, an acute phase of COVID-19. So after that, they developed these symptoms. And we went on in the literature to find out what's, what's out there that we know of. And there is a big umbrella uh, after the Q phase of COVID called uh, COVID-19 infection dysautonomia. There are two main major diagnoses under that umbrella. And uh, they're um, inappropriate sinus tachycardia, which is IST. And the other one is uh, postural orthostatic uh, tachycardia syndrome or POTS. Um, and then, you know, we, we were reading on we're on the literature and we're reading these cases, the studies, but we're still curious why um, some patients, you know, have palpitations and heart rates more than a hundred, even without doing any activity or not related to, to, a, to a position change in the body. So we thought it was inconsistent with the definition of IST and POTS and maybe there is a third diagnosis and that's why we're calling it post-COVID tachycardia. Um, all right, without further ado. So from, first of all, from learning objectives, uh, I just, you know, after hearing this presentation, I, I just want you to know that uh, in the back of your head, just keep in mind, there may be a, a third diagnosis of COVID dysautonomy and that's called post-COVID tachycardia. And, um, in the next few slides, I should be able to explain the differences between IST and POTS uh, from this uh, uh, new diagnosis. So a little bit of background. Um, I, these are uh, uh, the definitions uh, from the UK guidelines. I've, I've, I've adopted them because I've, I've found uh, that their guidelines are a, a little bit more uh, uh, clear and in terms of duration. 
so first we have, you know, we, we all know the COVID infection, the, the, the first phase, the acute phase of COVID-19 infection uh, might have happened to all of us here but uh, sign and symptoms of COVID for up to four weeks, up to four weeks. And then you have ongoing symptomatic COVID-19 infections, which they're the same symptoms, but can, uh, can be prolonged for four, 12 weeks. And then finally we have post syndrome. Uh, it's the side that I'm gonna be focusing on, uh, which is you know, longer than, and then 12 weeks and just lingering uh, symptoms of, of, of uh, COVID-19. And I'll go through the symptoms. Um, and keep in mind that you know, this is not solid. Uh, there's, uh, the CDC guidelines is a little bit different. Uh, so it, there's a lot of overlapping uh, uh, um, characteristics in terms of duration. So going further, um, so post-acute COVID syndrome has many names. Uh, long, you probably have heard of uh, long COVID or post-COVID syndrome. And these are the list uh, of the most common symptoms patients have uh, experienced. Uh, number one, we you see over there fatigue and exhaustion and then go on and on. Uh, our focus was on palpitations and heart palpitation exactly. Uh, and then in this next study, um, this was done in the earlier stages of the pandemic, uh, and it was actually done in China. Uh, they basically had a, a, did a cohort study, a few, uh, a couple, uh, 1,700 patients, I think, I believe. Uh, uh, they were, you know, uh, hospitalized for COVID-19 and then discharged. And then they were, uh, they followed these patients for, for about six months and evaluate, assess them for uh, any major symptoms. And um, to our surprise, I think the most, as I mentioned earlier, the most common symptoms comes at uh, 66% for fatigue and muscle weakness, and then sleep difficulties, hair loss, palpitation was at about 9%. So, so a fair amount of, of patients uh, complaining of that. And, um, and, and then after that, as you know, as we, progress uh, through the phases of the pandemic. I think more cases of uh, IST related, uh, COVID related IST or COVID related POTS cases. Uh, uh, it's been out there, it's been published. And, um, and this is the background basically for uh, the, 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 uh, the investigation of our project. Uh, so just this, as I said earlier, this big umbrella post COVID 19 dysautonomia. Mainly we see these two uh, diagnoses, the IST and POTS. Uh, so IST, uh, by definition, sinus tachycardia without any apparent reason or heart disease or cause, usually, usually a diagnosis of exclusion. Uh, POTS, in the, uh, on the other hand, is typically in young women uh, in the absence of heart disease as well. But uh, these patients tend to have symptoms of palpitation, fatigue, lightheadedness, all of that. Uh, when they're changing position from sitting to standing up position. So that's, that's the name, uh, it's named uh, postural orthostatic. So my topic was from, you know, post-COVID tachycardia would be uh, differentiating from these two. Uh, so the purpose basically is to see if there is an existence of a third diagnosis post-COVID tachycardia that is different from IST and POTS. 
and basically to determine the cause of sinus tachycardia and address persistent sinus tachycardia that goes unrecognized. All right, so the, met in the methods of our subject, um, we had, I did not include the number here, but we had uh, uh, 1,425 subjects. Uh, all of them are more than 18 years of age. Obviously, uh, had, has to have a positive COVID test and, and in inpatient setting. And that's the timeline. There's the timeline where they were admitted. Uh, this is a retrospective chart review. All subjects of interest have an association of post-COVID tachycardia. Um, and this, is, this was the most challenging part of our project is to, is to basically come up with a inclusion criteria uh, to include all these patients that are one, post-COVID, meaning they had COVID infection, inpatient and had resolution of COVID, and two, uh, having a sinus tachycardia that is uh, related to COVID, but also excluding other causes of tachycardia. So that was the, the, the most challenging part. And um, we, we came up with uh, two parts of the inclusion criteria. The first one is the, as I mentioned, the definition of resolution of COVID. So obviously they have to have a positive COVID, but how do we determine uh, if they're COVID free? Uh, at that time, I think in the earlier stages of the pandemic, we were having a hard time uh, uh, putting that uh, uh, conclusion that you're COVID-free, you should, you should be good, you can you know, uh, follow CDC guidelines and, and you should be good. But, but in the study, we had to make sure that they were COVID-free. And, and that was a combination of reviewing some guidelines and symptoms and, and, and other studies for COVID dysautonomia. So meeting one of these criteria will, uh, will be sufficient. Uh, the first one, obviously, having a negative repeat COVID test in the inpatient setting. Not many of uh, of us uh, in the in the in, in the hospital at that time were doing this, except if they were going to a a, a facility, a nursing home, or something that requires a repeat COVID test at the, the day of discharge, or um, um, if um, for any other reason that they need. But if just an average patient with simple COVID-19 infection that was hospitalized, typically we do not uh, um, uh, do a repeat COVID test. But I included this just to catch uh, the patient who uh, have had a, a second COVID test in inpatient and in, in, in their first admission. Uh, the second point is uh, it's, uh, was more useful, which is uh, time of more than uh, or equal to 10 days of duration after symptoms onset after resolution of fever for at least 24 hours and improvement of symptoms. So if they met these requirements, then they will be included in the study. Um, uh, and then you, you'll ask yourself, well, then what, if, what if it's less than 10 days? What if they recover? Then we go to point number four. I apologize for jumping around, but point number four is basically uh, the time of three days prior to discharge or at the day of discharge. So, so with this, inclusion criteria, we just, we're assuming that the patient at the day of discharge being rele released from the hospital is deemed to be stable enough and, and to be COVID-19 uh, uh, um, free. Um, you know, at, the medical team was evaluated, evaluated this patient, and uh, that's the assumption of point number four. Number three uh, is, uh, is just documentation. Um, 
purposes, uh, you know, at the again at the early stage of the pandemic, uh, I don't think uh, uh, you know we were all uh, familiar with post-COVID syndrome, and so it was very hard uh, or for anyone to document something like that, uh, given that it was something new out there. And then the second part is, you know, the criteria for post-COVID tachycardia. Um, and you can see that I also added a differentiating factor from POTS because IST is basically uh, with um, unknown cause, but in a, a diagnosis of exclusion. But POTS instead is, um, uh, is something that uh, the heart rate elevates uh, with position changing. So. For, with this one, we, you know, either we document a formal diagnosis. So, uh, just backing up a little bit, we know uh, from include from the first part that uh, we have patients uh, that have COVID nineteen infection resolution, and now we are trying to figure out uh, if they have this sinus tachycardia related to this. Uh, and so, number one will be a formal documentation of uh, sinus tachycardia. Uh, providers have been documenting with ICD codes if they have, you know, sinus tachycardia and excluding obviously other, um, and I'll go over the exclusion criteria, uh, other diagnoses such as PEs or ongoing septic shock, things like that. Uh, number two, it's, um, you know, it, it was, it, this is, it was challenging to get a, a um, isolated uh, vital sign or a sinus tachycardia reading related to to COVID, and so we we thought about doing this maybe at night, uh, around seven o'clock until six six a.m. So that would at least exclude patients who have been up and about or working physical therapy or some, uh, heart rate elevated reaction to 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 uh, ambulatory, and so. There's that, and then on three separate days, and then the number three will be. Uh, same same concept, but it's at the day of discharge. So from noon to six a.m., you know we're we're pretty sure there's no physical therapy or ambulation going on, and um, sinus tachycardia recorded at that time could be also related to post-COVID infection. And and the last um, point there is persistent sinus tachycardia on three separate occasions in a day for three separate days. Uh, and these are all uh, vital sign obtained when the patient is in, you know, it's a formal, with the, with the vital signs that we have in the hospital, uh, they're obtained when the patient is, is, is on the bed uh, at night. So these are the exclusion criteria. Uh, it can, you know, we, we excluded anyone who had a history of supraventricular tachycardia, uh, atrial tachycardias, other arrhythmias, ongoing sepsis or shock, uh, uh, venous thromboembolism, anxiety, uh, patients who are taking beta blockers or AV nodal blocking agents, uh, patients on ECMO or, or critical ill patients per NIH guidelines for COVID-19 severity. So our primary observation basically was to uh, see if there is a, an association of sinus tachycardia after an acute infection of COVID-19. Uh, and then secondary observation were related to uh, in terms of uh, clinical characteristics of these patients, comorbidities, uh, what type of COVID severity is more related to, to this uh, entity and, and their readmission rates. And I have in the bottom there with the, the comorbidities and the clinical characteristics 
like body mass index, uh, tobacco history, and et cetera. And the comorbidities I have there, uh, the major one, type 2 diabetes, CAD, CHF, and all of that. So with the statistical analysis, we, we, we basically did you know, prevalence, we did uh, uh, multinormal logistic regression, and also used uh, cross-tabulation uh, basically to determine there's correlation of there is association at least uh, of this uh, a new entity that we're curious about. Uh, so as for the results, uh, I have here the prevalence uh, for post-COVID tachycardia. Uh, you see in the bottom in the, in the x-axis, uh, zero will be uh, the day of discharge. One will be the day before discharge, three, three days before discharge and so on. And we did find uh, quite a reasonable percentage here, uh, 26. And I think the most was uh, the day before this year was 30.8%. Um, then, so these are the results for this part. Uh, in terms of clinical characteristics, we, we looked at financial, uh, we looked at uh, smoking history, COVID severity, age, length of stay, and I'll just summarize for you, but uh, in, in this slide, uh, the results that were more significant was um, <clears throat> length of stay uh, and uh, insurance with the commercial type of insurance and uh, the type of smokers, unknown smoker, and then the COVID severity as well, which I will explain in the next few slides. Um, okay. And then age, so for age, as if we see in this previous uh, um, table, uh, the correlation was not very significant. So we ran a cross tabulation. We, we basically grouped them in different age groups. We had less than 65, which is one. Uh, the second group, 65 to 75, and the third group, over 75. And by doing this, we did find a, a, a pretty good association. You can see over there when it says uh, less than 65 was the group that uh, showed the most association with post-COVID tachycardia with a 30.50% and uh, with a p-value of 0.001. So, and I'll go over to discussion to go over the results again. Uh, gender was uh, not really significant here. Um, you can see our p-value was not, were not that great with 0 0.470. Um, and then as well with um, race was not very significant as well. Uh, okay, then moving on, uh, the comorbidities. So we, you know, we, 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 took, our, we took the patients and, and, and divided them into um, uh, number of comorbidities. So you see zero with zero comorbidities, one, two, three, and four more comorbidities. And by doing this, when grouping individual based on number of comorbidities, individual with less comorbidities are most likely to experience post-COVID tachycardia. Uh, th those patients with zero comorbidities had the largest uh, standardized residual, as you can see. And, um, and then for the next, for the other ones, not as much. And now let's go on COVID severity. Now we know, you know, it's, it's it was shocking to basically from the previous table was shocking to see, oh, less comorbidities, more association with post-COVID tachycardia. 
And so we're, then we, we looked at the COVID severity and then we basically grouped into either less severe or more severe. Less severe within the CDC and, and, and NIH guidelines were, were mild COVID infection and more severe were moderate or, or, or more severe. <clears throat> so in this, in this table, we can see that um, patients um, that had you know, a less uh, severe course of COVID-19 infection were, uh, were more associated, likely to experience post-COVID tachycardia. And then finally, the, the, the other secondary obser observation that we did was readmission rates, uh, and which we found uh, higher percentage in, in those patients were, who were readmitted within 30 days. So 36.7% uh, of, of those patients uh, associated with post-COVID tachycardia. And then we, with all that, we, we, we try to answer our questions. Why is that? Why is that after an acute infection of COVID-19, uh, someone would go, you know, would have this regulation of their ANS. And so we, we looked up uh, many literature out there and, and was trying to justify uh, with, you know, with different pathophysiology. There are four main pathophysiology out there that may have had an involvement of uh, a cardiovascular involvement from the acute phase of COVID-19 infection. Uh, the first one is, you know, uh, the, the most severe COVID uh, cases of COVID-19 infection, they could release such a large uh, inflammatory response and severe cytokine injury that it could dysregulate the ANS system. And, and this actually is, um, is uh, similar to the concept of aging and, and having their ANS blunted. So by doing that, you have a less probability of causing this autonomia. So with this point, uh, we'll likely explain why uh, the patient, the, our uh, subject of interest that were more associated with post-COVID tachycardia were of younger ages. The second concept is the ACE enzyme 2 receptors and, and the, the same way uh, with the above points, uh, it causes uh, you know, a, a resultant uncontrolled cytokine release, cytotoxic injury, endothelial involvement, and thromboinflammation, dysregulation of the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. <clears throat> Another concept is maybe persistent viral residues in the heart could cause you know, this chronic inflammatory state, uh, which also can be intensified with increasing BMI. And finally, molecular mimicry and its autoimmune response, specifically the G protein, couple receptor antibodies, uh, which can cause an increased sympathetic tone. So these are the four main uh, pathophysiology out there that could explain uh, IST or COVID infection related IST, COVID infection related POTS, and including this one, post COVID tachycardia. So, for discussion, you know, uh, the average, uh, the prevalent the number of patients of post COVID 19 tachycardia of our sample of interest was an average 28%. Uh, there was a strong association of patients of group, of, of age group less than 65. Which, which actually coincides with uh, other post-COVID-19 uh, dysautonomic disorders, uh, like uh, several um, published uh, case reports. 
And uh, there's an increased association of post-COVID tachycardia with younger and healthier patients, less comorbidities, you know, at, uh, um, the group age less than 65, and those who have had uh, a milder uh, course of infection. And, and this has also been observed in the literature as well. And the high, higher readmission rates, uh, it does coincide with, with uh, patients who have had, you know, post-COVID syndrome and having that lingering, those lingering symptoms for a long time. And, and basically our assumption is maybe are they, uh, because of these uh, long symptoms, are they getting readmitted uh, because of these frustrating symptoms? Uh, and there's a study uh, out there by Aranjo. It's about 20% of post-COVID syndrome also developed a concomitant IST. And, and, and funny enough, their, their, population, their, their population of interest also uh, were composed of young women, uh, young patients with minimal comorbidities and mild COVID infection. So some strengths and limitations in our study, and I'll start off with some strengths. Uh, I think we had a, a, a strict and robust uh, set of inclusion and exclusion criteria, and uh, we were able to differentiate them from IST and uh, POTS. Uh, and then this is, uh, I would say, it's one of the first studies uh, looking at post-COVID tachycardia as its own entity other than um, relating it to IST or POTS. <clears throat> Some of the limitations we have, uh, it is a retrospective chart review. So that limits uh, our, uh, the accuracy of our data is limited by uh, how well our physicians are recording uh, their diagnosis or documentation. And, and that is completely, uh, you know, it, if they miss some diagnosis could potentially affect our data. And conclusion, um, post-COVID tachycardia is likely a separate entity from IST or POTS. And, and it's an important entity under the umbrella of post-COVID uh, syndrome. And I think you know, it warrants further studies to elucidate the underlying pathophysiology and to confirm its presence as a distinct ent entity. Right. Uh, I would like to give special thanks to Dr. Patel uh, Shane and Dr. Anya, and uh, very special thanks to my wife. Uh, she uh, pushed me, uh, helped me get through to this project in the past year and a half, and I think she has an important role here. And uh, uh, I think it's important to have the mindset of better to be to be a better person today than yesterday. Thank you. Um, questions? You, but that was your wife. Yeah. Very nice wife. She's a smart lady. Thank you, Dr. Wong. Do we have any questions or comments? If you're viewing online, please enter in the Q&A chat. Nothing? Okay. It's interesting to note that the majority of uh, people who died from AIDS, uh, over 72% of them were um, morbidly obese individuals. So they might have had some predisposing already heart disease or whatever not, you know, at this point in time. But very interesting. Thank you.
Any other questions? All right, thank you, Dr. Wall. Thank you. <laughs> we have one more, oh, hang on just a second. Hey, good presentation. I just had a question. Yeah. It's interesting to know that there was more um, uh, post-COVID tachycardia in people who were readmitted, but then the same people, it was also more prevalent in those who had like a milder infection and also with less comorbidities. So why are they representing if these people were the ones who had a milder infection, less comorbidities? So why are they coming back into the hospital now after 30 days or within 30 days? Yeah, so the whole point, uh, uh, we, we were thinking, you know, why they're having higher readmission rate is because uh, these patients who are having, who, who have the diagnosis of post-COVID tachycardia are in the post-COVID syndrome group and they have lingering symptoms. Basically, um, you know, they're discharged, but they're still having palpitations, increasing heart rate, fatigue, and they think there's something wrong with them. And then they, they come back, they ride back to the ED uh, only to find that there's nothing going on, but maybe this is, you know, that's what, uh, at that time, they raised the question, is there something called, or is there something uh, after COVID-19 infection that could lead to a prolonged uh, phase? And, and, you know, that, that was our reasoning. Yeah, uh, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it would be important to look at why people with a more severe infection and more comorbidities are not representing um, yeah, yeah, that's that's why we're going through the the, the pathophysiology. Uh, you know, this is this is just speculation. This uh, patient who have had severe cases of or severe infection, they probably this is just speculation that they've had a, a huge stress to their ANS that they're not responding to this elevated, you know, change in heart rate or dysautonomia. So that that was the that was the the thought behind it. Yeah. I got a question just passed my mind real quick. How many of these, um, excuse me if you mentioned it and I didn't listen. Um, how many people, uh, these people came back or whatever or not were previously before they left or whatever vaccinated? How many of these individuals got the vaccine and then yeah, came we, back? That's a good question. That I don't think we included any any sort of treatment or, or prevention vaccine. We did not include that in the study. So I, I, I honestly don't know how how many of them were vaccinated? Yeah. Any other questions for Dr. Wall? All right, great presentation. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah.